Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Crypto News Podcast. We are buzzing as always, and we have another Toronto lad on the show today. And this one is going to be a little different than the most because there's one topic that we will get into that I am incredibly curious about. And this gentleman is a true pro in that topic. And we will get into that, but time for the intro. Pumped to have Michael Saunders on the show today, co-founder and storyteller of Horizon Blockchain Games. Michael connects the dots, makes the esoteric comprehensible, and tells the Horizon story through narrative, lore, brand, and marketing. Michael first fell in love with blockchain tech in 2010, wowza, before becoming more actively involved in the industry in 2013 as an investor in crypto and related startups. He previously co-founded a clean energy startup, acted as VP of Clear Media Advertising Agency, co-founded a transformational dance and sound therapy experience, and authored the best-selling Ayahuasca and Executives Enlightenment. Cannot wait to get into that. Michael lives a life of love, openness, and play, and he's committed to infusing Web3 and the new dimension with the same values. Super pumped to have you on the show. Michael, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Excited to be here. So many interesting topics. There's one that pops out, and this is something that I would like to explore at one point in my life. I've done my research. I do not know if I'm ready yet. I don't know if anyone is ever ready for this, and that is ayahuasca. While doing research for the show, obviously, I now know that you are a best-selling author. Congrats. The book looks incredible. I'm going to order that bad boy. And that will be on the beautiful bookshelf behind me. And I will probably destroy that book in T minus 24 hours. That is going to be a treat of a read out on the balcony with some sun. But we got to get into it. I'd love if you could tell me, and I'll just interject when I see fit, if you don't mind. But I'd love if you could rip through the whole story from the moment you were like, hey, I want to try this all the way to finding the shaman, to booking the flight, to the journey down, to the actual experience, to the crazy trip and perhaps conclude with some of the learnings that you had from this once-in-a-lifetime enlightening experience? So it's a really big topic, but to kind of start at the beginning, it was 2012, and I was going through a period of extreme darkness and depression and suicidal contemplation. I was working as the co-founder of a startup. I was also the advert, uh, a VP of an advertising agency, I was training athletically about 14 times per week, never resting, never relaxing, never meditating. I was just like, go, go, go all the time. And I thought if ever I was tired, the reason I was tired was because I wasn't working hard enough that I hadn't expanded my work capacity to be able to handle the volume of things I wanted to achieve. Bit of backwards thinking, you know, but I, I found myself in a really dark hole. Yeah, really like unable to even stay awake for more than like 10 hours. I just have to like fall asleep and I feel super exhausted and sad. And I resolved that, um, yeah, life wasn't going to be worth living unless I could figure out how to start feeling like myself again. And at that time, I consulted with a natural health practitioner whose name's Love Deep, and I give tremendous kudos to how he helped me. And he really got me to focus on play and meditation. Rather than being so goal-oriented all the time, he wanted me to focus on activities that I just enjoyed doing to like fill me with like, you know, a fun vibration and enjoyment. And so I started yeah, adopting this mindset of, yeah, play, doing something that I really enjoy every single day. And then I ended up going to Burning Man for the first time in 2013, and on the which was that's a whole other podcast oh, yeah. in itself. But Crazy. then on the flight home, 
one of my best friends, Sid, asked me, what are you doing for New Year's this year? And I didn't know yet. And he suggested that we go down to the Amazon rainforest and have ceremonies with the plant medicine called ayahuasca. And I had heard of ayahuasca about a year and a half prior. And I knew that at some point in my life, I would experience the medicine, but I just didn't know when. So one of our mutual friends had been organizing tours in South America and Peru and taking people to work with traditional shamans along the Amazon basin um, to have uh, ceremonies with this, you know, fairly ancient plant medicine. At least they say it's been used for millennia to treat anything. yeah. Yeah. Anything ranging from like depression to cancer to various diseases to facilitate spiritual awakenings, all sorts of things. So yeah, I went down to Peru on December 26, 2013 and trekked through the Amazon jungle for a week. And then we arrived to the <laughs> ceremonial grounds of Nuevo And we worked with shamans that, you know, they've devoted their entire lives to working with this medicine. And I had been preparing for about four months, just like following a particular diet that, you know, for example, it, it involves no uh, spices or even salt. Really? Which did not seem healthy to me, you know, because I think you need salt for hydration, yeah. but I was willing to respect the customs and the traditions because I figured they had reasons, even if I didn't understand them. And I just wanted to go into it wholeheartedly. It was New Year's Eve of 2013 when we had our first ayahuasca ceremony. And, you know, you drink the medicine, it's like a sludge green. It's kind of like a green smoothie without any fruit in it. So it's just like very bitter. It doesn't taste that good. And I had a couple of intentions. One was to, you know, gain some clarity on my life's path. And two was to heal some physical ailments that I had attributed to past athletic injuries. And so I drank the medicine and I sat down cross-legged in this maloka, which is a wooden structure with screens for windows and a 40 foot tall dome ceiling. Um, and they, yeah, you're like in the Amazon jungle. Wow. I drink the medicine and I'm sitting there and I, I'm meditating, reflecting chronologically upon my year of 2013 because it had been the most teaching year of my life. And then about 40 minutes into that meditation, I feel this fire rise up my arm, expand across my torso and instinctively and intuitively, I kind of telepathically broadcast Mother Ayahuasca, can you please give me a few more minutes? I'm just reflecting on my year and I think it's important that I work all the way through that. And then I feel this voice, this presence respond by saying, yes, my child, take your time and let me know when you're ready. And then the fire receded out of my body. And Matt, like, I was like, I looked to the left and the right and I'm like, holy shit, I'm talking with a plant right now. And you know, if someone had told me this in advance, I would have been skeptical, like open-minded to it, but I would, you know, I would have been skeptical hearing this. And then I I finished my reflection and then instinctively I I sort of broadcast through my thoughts, like mother ayahuasca, I'm ready to welcome you into my mind, into my body, into my soul. These are my intentions. I'm open to anything you want to teach me. And hopefully you'll even learn something from me. Welcome. And then the fire expands across my body through my whole, through my, like down in my legs, my heart fills my consciousness. And then these purple and green beams of the light just emerge in the Maloka and they look like the Northern lights, like Aurora Borealis. And I'm staring at them and like, what is going on? Like, did the Northern lights descend down to the Peruvian jungle floor? And so I, I like, looked over here to kind of test their objectivity. I closed my eyes for a while and like didn't engage with them. And then when I looked back, 
they had progressed in their movement towards me. And they felt like this objective entity, like independent of whether I was looking at them or not. And then they wrapped themselves around me, these purple and green beams of light. And then I felt the spirit of Aurora Borealis and it wrapped around me and it turned me over into the fetal position. And I just laid there and I felt at the time I was 26 years old, I felt like 26 years of trauma, just being healed and a maternal presence, unlike I had ever knowingly experienced. And then the, the shamans start singing and they sing these songs called Icaros, which kind of sounded like so wa, so wa, wa, wa. And as the shamans were singing, these colorful shapes were emanating from their mouths and expanding to fill my perceptual field. So Ermohan as one of the shamans, his shapes were like yellow and blue. And then Arcelia, or, and then Ricardo was the main shaman, his shapes were like red and green as he had sing to expand to fill my awareness. And then Arcelia, she started singing the full spectrum of colors explodes from her mouth, more colors than there are in the rainbow, like more colors than I've ever seen before. And all of their songs combined in the auditory space and all of their shapes combined in the visual space to create this like visual and auditory symphony and this massive cloud-like entity that was super colorful. And I'm lying there on the floor and then I feel the purple and green beam, the Aurora Borealis like elevate me and push me up into this new dimension. And the ayahuasca says to me, like, Michael, this is, this is a realm that you are from, you exist in, you're going to, you just haven't been consciously aware of it for a number of years. And, and I, I was like somewhat nervous, but like really open to it. And she said, go and explore. And then I feel the purple and green beams of light sever behind me, like an umbilical cord. And I go and Mac, like sh shortly thereafter, these and this might sound strange to some listeners, but these um, three humanoid beings that were like kind of two feet tall, three uh, female energies, they, and they were, they were dark bodies and they had vibrant outlines, like a vibrant yellow, a vibrant pink, and a vibrant orange. And they were communicating with me. And it was, it was like beyond telepathy. Like there was nothing to kind of lose in translation. And... Again, I was trying to test their objectivity. So I would look away and when I would look back, they would still be there and then they would float around. They'd be like, hey, like, aren't you interested in what we'd like to connect with you on? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm interested in what these other dimensional beings want to share with me. And I ended up like, then I encountered other beings that were, ended up being the mitochondria inside of my body. I met my gut flora and my gut flora floated up like the little bacteria in my intestines. And they were sharing with me, they're like, Michael, like your, your body is a vessel for trillions of different beings, like all of us microorganisms. And you want to make your vessel as welcoming as possible to the right kinds of beings because they influence your thoughts, your moods, your behavior. And, you know, now like a lot of people have this understanding that your gut biome influences your yeah, psychology, yeah. right? But I was actually directly experientially communicating with them. And they were sharing with me, they're like, to make it even more welcoming, like play more, like enjoy yourself because that cultivates the most positive vibration for the right kind of spirit beings to enter you. And, and then they gave me like these very concrete pieces of advice. They're like, stop eating dark chocolate and stop eating pork. And I was like, what? I'm like, I thought those things were healthy. And they're like, they can be, but they're not for not you, for you. Wow. at this time. And then they showed me memories spanning from when I was like four years old. Every time I ate bacon, they would show me 
like the experience afterwards, I was witnessing myself like out of body. And I would see that I was like, I was tired. It was like a low grade inflammation. I'd have lethargy for like three days afterwards. And with dark chocolate, it wouldn't allow me to sleep properly at night. So it actually showed me lying in my bed and wrestling around every time I had dark chocolate. And I wasn't aware, like consciously aware of these things. And so I ended up encountering all of these different beings. Like Matt, there was like an infinite number of them. It was like I was exploring a starry night sky and there are stars beyond the stars and then stars beyond those stars. But they were all these different beings, infinite in color, in kind, in degree, in volume. And each one of them represented some aspect of love and collectively they communicated love as a whole and like reminded me like allowed me to remember that the fabric of our universe is love that it's the creative force behind all things it's responsible for you me the big bang and all its predecessors every work of art every painting every song it's the child who cries the bird that flies in the grass that grows through the pavement it's you it's me it's boundless it's infinite it's everywhere and yeah man that was that was the first hour of my first ayahuasca ceremony that was, and this the was first one hour. hour. Yeah. And then I ended up having three Jeez. ceremonies over the course of four nights. Each one lasts like six to eight hours. So yeah, it, it like fundamentally shifted my perspective on reality and showed me something so far beyond my wildest imagination that now informs my entire way of being. And yeah, that's why I wrote the book about it. It's like the full details. And there was also conversations with this plant medicine about cryptocurrency at the time ethereum didn't exist but we were like we were exploring this concept of bitcoin and then she said she's like there's something else coming that you're going to encounter pretty soon and it was very vague i didn't know what it meant but then two weeks upon returning to toronto i met vital buterin the inventor of ethereum a year before ethereum's launch that is okay one thank you for sharing that was incredible um, I have goosebumps. It's a goosebump city population, me right now. I have so many questions. And again, this is a crypto pod. We will get into the crypto, but this is phenomenal content. So we're going to buzz on this topic for a little bit more. Let's start back from, I have sort of five points that I'd like to discuss. We'll start back with the diet. While prepping for this, you mentioned that you took out salt and a lot of spices. What about other diet or fitness related things? From the research I've done, obviously it calls for many long walks, potentially a um, a three to five gram mushroom trip, you know, three to six months in advance, um, not smoking anything, not consuming any narcotics. Obviously, we don't need to name them, but you get it. Anything yeah. else diet related or prep related that you would recommend to someone who wants to embark on this journey? Yeah. So for the diet, like I followed a, a strict one for the three weeks leading up to it and kind of like a looser one for like the four months leading up to it. So right. I only didn't have salt for the three weeks leading up to it. But yeah, like you're saying, like no substances, uh, like no drugs, no alcohol. Yeah, no booze. Uh, also refrain from sexual energy for yeah. like three weeks leading up to it in any capacity, whether it's individual or with a partner. Yeah. And yeah, like really cultivate a positive mindset and the intentions, the things that you want to explore and work on with the medicine. Um, like have, have a particular reason that you want to do it. And it can be general or vague and it can be really about anything. But yeah, and I think long walks are wonderful. I found myself going on so many long walks upon return. I, I didn't I naturally walk a bit, but I, I didn't like mindfully think of that. But I, I think that's really sensible. And then you also mentioned that you got to sort of go through 26 years of trauma. That's one of the things that that interests me a lot about this experience. I'd love to, and again, you know, shout out my parents, two amazing parents. I've been very fortunate to have a 
a child, an incredible childhood and, and truthfully not a lot of trauma, which I'm very grateful for. But of course, there's still traumatic events. Everyone has a couple, you know, deep scars that they can't really heal. Um, but with that being said, like, did you go through in like chronological order? Was it like from perhaps the first traumatic experience when you were a young boy all the way up to, you know, maybe some of the health scares that you had and then battling with depression and suicide close to this experience? Like walk me through the whole sort of going through the 26 years of trauma and, and how that came and went throughout the trip. Yeah. So to be honest, um, the it was when the Northern Light, like Aurora Borealis was like wrapping me. And it was only about a 10 minute window where I just felt everything heal. I didn't go through them all chronologically at that moment. It was like, and, and I wasn't different for every person who, who tries it, right? But for me, I felt as though the medicine was really trying to just like get me in a wonderful state and then allow me to have this like mm. truly joyous and exploratory journey, at least for the first ceremony. In my second one, like I did go through a lot more difficulties. I did have the experience of like, like I mentioned how I was trying to heal some physical ailments that I attributed to a past athletic injury. But through the experience, it was revealed to me that it wasn't, it wasn't like a sports injury that caused the pain in my back. It was me harboring grief from the death of my best friend when we were 23 years old and he fell mm. from the balcony. And that allowed me to actually process it and then like actually get to um, be with him. His name's Dave. And I got to be with him in this, these other realms and like kind of um, have closure on the experience and like actually grieve. And then the pain dissipated and like Jesus. I haven't had it since. That's crazy. What about, what about the remembering of all this stuff? Like, are you taking notes after? Or are you just someone with a good memory? Like, and again, sorry, sorry for all these questions on this. I'm just I'm beyond intrigued. But like, <laughs> I, I feel like if I went into a st an outer worldly state where I was literally again having having this crazy communication pathway with a plant and this outer universe, like, I mean, again, I've never done it, but I don't know how I'd remember that. How, how do you how do you remember all this stuff? How do how do most people remember? the crazy depths that they go to. I imagine it's different for every person, but you know, like my, for example, my title at Horizon being chief storyteller, and like I've always had a really strong memory. And when I get into a storytelling flow, it's like, I'm just reliving the experience. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I can access it. Just and it, that, that is one of my gifts. And, you know, I have shortcomings in other areas, but that's one of the things that I've been blessed with is to have that really strong memory and then just be able to articulate it. So but you, I, you, you didn't write anything down. This was all. This, so I did after, like, as soon as the ceremony ended, I, well, actually I took a nap for like, maybe like three hours and I woke up before sunrise and I just started writing and it was eight hours consecutive, like without even going to the bathroom. And if, and, and I thought like, to your point, Matt, like I thought this might I don't know if I can articulate this in words because it's so far beyond my yeah, yeah. previous frame of reality. But instead of it being difficult, it felt like some celestial waterfall was flowing from the skies into my mind, through my heart, out my arm, through the pen, and just waterfalling words onto the page. And I wrote 50 pages in a journal. And then I, <laughs> I kid you not, man, I put the final period down, I closed the book, and then they shut off the electrical uh, on the grounds for, for, the, for the day. Uh, which meant the building I was in, like I couldn't have written anymore, but I had actually, I said to myself, like, wow, like I got it. Like I wrote that first ceremony. And then the same things happened after the second and the third where, yeah, I just, I wrote it all in a notebook. And it's interesting because during my first ceremony, 
the ayahuasca, she and I were engaging in this like telepathic dialogue. And I was kind of wondering about my life's path. And she was, she said to me, she's like, the only dream you've had persisting from your, since your youth, or at least the main dream was you've always wanted to write a book that you thought was awesome. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And she's like, I'm giving you a lot to write about in this cosmic wink. And then like, yeah, I just, I wrote the book. By the time I returned to Toronto, like I had already written uh, the entire book while I was in the jungle and then on the plane back. And then it was just about like editing and like all the publication process. Wow. I could talk to you about this for nine hours. We're going to have to meet in person and have a, have a chat about this. Last question, then we'll get into the crypto stuff here. Um, and I have to ask, and my apologies for the listeners if you're, uh, if you're not a fan of what I'm about to ask, but I also heard that there is a multitude of puking and nasty experiences that coincide with the ayahuasca trip. I'd love if you could walk me through that experience. Did you puke? Did you have the nastiness, the crazy stomach cramps, the, you know, the, the spookies? I guess just touch on some of the negative aspects, if you will. Yeah, they're difficult. I wouldn't describe them as negative because they're certainly helping you in the long run. I actually did catch like some kind of stomach bug even before the ayahuasca ceremonies, like when I was in the jungle. And in hindsight, I feel as though the medicine was like working with me in advance to do that. And then the first ceremony, I didn't have too much purging, but the second one, I felt very ill. Like I felt like I had the flu, um, diarrhea. I felt the urge to vomit a lot. I, I, I didn't. It just ended up going out the other end. Yeah. But I also had like the sweats and I was shaking and like twitching and like, yes, yeah, felt very ill. Yeah. And I also knew going in advance because you prepare for it that like you are releasing like traumas and negative yeah. energy and you're processing it. And like some people that I was with, man, like they, they were vomiting profusely and yeah. they said like they would see the sludge. And by the way, you fast for like at least 10 hours, sometimes 24 hours and more going into it. So there's not really any food in your stomach, but people were vomiting like black sludge and then saying like, I was vomiting my fear. Like I was getting rid of fear. Wow. So yeah, there, there's certainly a purging component for most people, but not everyone. Last question. If someone like me wants to embark on this journey and they go and they are ready to go through the ringer and they want to mentally, physically, spiritually prepare themselves for this crazy journey, is there a sort of a quantifiable metric in which one should be at before getting on this? Like, you know, is there a specific state of mind? I know when we're talking about a lot of qualitative things, it's very subjective, they're very hard to measure. Um, obviously you should be in a, you know, a, a decent state of happiness. You should be present as, as heck. Can you touch on that subject at all? Yeah, I, th- I think it really depends um, in that I've often heard that if you feel it's call, it's the right time. Like if right. you feel this urge, if you feel its presence and that can look different for a lot of people, because there are people who are in very difficult times, yeah. like maybe they're like, there, there's people who have gone to treat paralysis and have become unparalyzed like fibromyalgia, like all sorts of things, like, you know, depression, like serious depression where they're in it at the moment. Like I was already kind of on the upward trajectory by the time I had gone, but yeah, people go in the, like in the depths of it or to deal with addiction in the middle of it. Right. So I would say to have like, let's say a less painful experience, more enjoyable one, it certainly is beneficial if you're like meditating and you're taking care of yourself and you're exercising and you're eating well and you're sleeping well and you're getting sunshine. I do believe you'll have less purging and you'll, it'll be less of a, a battle. Whereas, you know, I've heard of addicts going down and like 
they're they're purging the entire time for yeah, like yeah. seven days, and they don't they sometimes don't even have an experience that the at all that the deem at all pleasurable, but it, it is helpful for them. It's like they're cleaning themselves. So it just it depends. Like I think for someone like you, you know, you, you sound like you're already preparing for it, and to me, it suggests that you're ready and just like continue on that that top. Love that, Michael. You uh, you fired me up. I'm, I'm uh, yeah. This this is uh, quite the start to the show. Um, I mean, I wish we could talk about this the whole time, but let's get into some crypto stuff. And thank you for being so open and uh, and vulnerable and honest. It, it truly does mean the world to me, and I'm and I'm positive our listeners will absolutely love that bit as well. I'll tell you for free that I'll be listening to that at least once or twice more. Anyways, on to crypto. This is the Crypto News Pod. You fell in love with crypto super early on in 2010 and previously co-founded a clean energy startup. You were VP of Clear Media Advertising Agency and co-founded a transformational dance and sound therapy experience. Heck, you also wrote a book. You've done a whole lot of everything. I'm always incredibly curious and intrigued in regards to my guests who have past experience and have crushed it and have been successful in other realms and then jump over to Web3 and crypto? Why did you choose to make the jump? Well, I first heard of Bitcoin in 2010. And honestly, man, like right away, I thought that's the future. This like decentralized money, it just made so much sense to me. It just seemed like a better system. And I dove like dove right in. Admittedly, it took me a while to acquire it because I couldn't wrap my head around like exchanging money for like a 42 or a 56 digit alphanumeric sequence. So I was going to write on a piece of paper and store in my backyard. Like I didn't, it took me a while, but I did, you know, I have been in it ever since I was researching like most days and, but it was really, yeah, it was really when I, I returned from Peru in January, 2014. And then I went to this place in Toronto that was called Bitcoin Decentral. And Vitalik Buterin at the age of 18 was explaining the concept of Ethereum to everyone and like smart contracts and decentralized governance. And 95% of what he was saying flew over my head, but I was covered in goosebumps listening to him speak. And I was and still am convinced that he's from the future and he's here to teach us about technology, economics, and love. And it was at that time that I fell in love with this notion of Web3. Not that it was being called that back then, but we were discussing this like next generation of the internet, like these new applications where creators and users share in the volume of the ecosystems they participate in. It, it just seemed much more symbiotic. And it was, there was only like 20 of us in the room at the time, but everyone was very excited about it. And that's when I fell in love. And then I spent the next few years really thinking about like, how can we actually usher in these technologies so that people use them? Because they're pretty esoteric. Like most people don't understand them. Even today, a lot of people don't, but it's like, how do we make them understandable? How do we get people to experience this? And I didn't have too many good ideas, but then I met Peter Kieltika, who is one of my co-founders and our CEO. And to my knowledge, he's the first person to ever conceptualize blockchain games. And as soon as he told me, I'm like, oh, holy shit, this is it. This is how we can welcome the world to Web3 and do it in a really fun and loving way. What, what year was this? Uh, it was 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like rather than needing to like explicitly educate people, it's like just give them a fun experience that's like enjoyable. And then through that, even if they don't have any interest in it, through that, they'll discover the value of like digital ownership and the ability to transact and interact in these different ways. So 
that was, yeah, that was 2017. And then we founded Verizon in December, 2017. There were five of us, um, started around a kitchen table and, you know, five and a half years later, it's been an absolutely incredible journey. And our, our mission is to make Web3 easy, fun, and accessible for users and builders. I mean, that's, that's exactly what we need to grow the space. There's, it's funny, you, you telling the story about getting into Bitcoin in 2010 and talking about the, the string of letters and numbers. It's like, how the heck are you going to onboard someone? How, how are we going to onboard our parents to that? You know, like, heck, how are we going to onboard our friends who are even tech savvy to that? They're going to be like, what is this shit? Like this, this is banana lands. It makes no sense. Still, still the number one thing that crypto needs to do. Um, but Michael, we need to take a quick break and give a huge shout out to our sponsor of the show. And when we get back, we're going to riff a little more on Web3 Gaming and Horizon. Before then, huge shout out to PrimeXBT, longtime friends of CryptoNews.com. Incredible team and they treat their customers incredible as well. They offer a robust trading system for both beginners and professional traders. It doesn't matter if you're a rookie or a vet, you can easily design and customize your layouts and widgets to best fit your trading style. Prime XPT is also running an exclusive promotion for listeners of the Crypto News podcast. After making your first deposit, 50%, that is 50% of that first deposit, will be credited to your account as a bonus that can be used as additional collateral to open positions. The promo code is CryptoNews50, that's CryptoNews50, to receive 50% of your deposit credited to your trading account. And now back to the show with Michael. Let's buzz on the benefits of blockchain tech for gaming. And I'll just sort of, I'll start on this riff, but whenever my friends or family or network or whoever is asking me about Web3 and Play to Earn, which is now so much Play and Earn, and we'll get to that shortly as well, but one of the biggest benefits is just asset ownership and actually having something to show for. Whereas if Michael and I are playing Fortnite or Call of Duty or NHL or FIFA or whatever the case may be, we spend 70 bucks on the game. We give this game hundreds, sometimes thousands of hours of our time. And at the end of the day, we have a couple of mems with our friends. You know, we got to shoot the shit online, which is great. Of course, we get to become closer with some close buddies, but that's really all we have. And life's too short to not have, you know, a little bit of kickback, and this is one of the big things with blockchain gaming. It allows you to actually own some in-game digital assets. Again, obviously you and the team at Horizon are pros at this, but I'd love if you could sort of give me a little rift on the benefits of blockchain technology for gaming. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you nailed some of the key points there. When we think about Web3 gaming, we think it, it revolves foundationally around the game items themselves and to this notion of ownership, right? And if you think of the reasons why people buy game items in traditional games, like, you know, whether it's skins or weapons or cards or cars or seeds or costumes, whatever. They're buying them because either one, it gives them utility in the game, they get to do things with it, or it gives them status, uh, you know, they get to show it off, or three, because they just enjoy collecting, you know, they're a collector. Yep. But when you add Web3 into the mix, you still people are still going to buy for those same three reasons, but you add at least five more that we've identified. Uh, one is this notion of value, because there can be an underlying value to it since it's, it's secured in a decentralized network, which means you're also able to resell it or trade it. And then another really cool opportunity is around cross-game or cross-brand interoperability. So imagine you're playing NBA 2K24, and imagine there were Web3 items in the game, right? And you could buy like Adidas shoes for your players. If those Adidas shoes were digital collectibles or NFTs, Nike could, or sorry, Adidas could just like look 
on the blockchain and see all the users that own these digital shoes, these Adidas digital shoes, and then they could just airdrop gifts to all of those people, which could be in the form of another digital collectible, or it could be like a voucher for physical merchandise. It could be an invitation to some party, like all of these cool, like permissionless ways of collaborating. And then you have this notion of persistence. So if you own a Web3 game item, you're always going to, even if the game disappears or or like the game makers disappear, you still own that item. It's yours. And in fact, like other members of the community could actually build a different experience around those game items. So like we made a game called Skyweaver. It's a trading card game. Someone else could theoretically build a different version of Skyweaver with like different rules, but use all the same cards. Right. And so it, yeah, it allows like more community involvement. And then this notion of collection history and profile. So you play in one game, but you can bring that same identity and your collectibles and show that off in different virtual worlds. Like maybe you're going to some metaverse experience. It's like a social event and you can show everyone like, oh, these are all the digital items I own in these worlds. Or maybe you're going to another game and that game actually rewards you for owning something in the game you're coming from, right? So it's like you get to have this expression that transcends our current abilities to do so. And so I think those are some of like the really big benefits around blockchain for games. And another really cool one is like, the enablement of user-generated content in a way. So let's say it's like Fortnite and Fortnite was like, you know what, we're going to open it up to our community so that they can create new skins and we're going to have a contest and the top five skins, we're going to put them in Fortnite. And then every time they sell, we're actually going to give a royalty to the original creator. And, you know, Fortnite could have an in-game marketplace and then they they could decide how they want to split those royalties, right? Like Fortnite might take some and the player, the creator might, Get some, or maybe they just give it all to the creator, right? To incentivize this UGC user generated content. Um, so, there, and like these are just like early concepts, right? And I think it's a whole new world. So, I think the innovation is just going to continue to expand. A lot of us, myself included, I thought it would have already popped off by now. But again, we were living in a bit of a, uh, you know, a dream world and a fantasy world in regards to how quick blockchain took off once COVID happened just because again you know there was the financial incentives out trumped or just trumped rather every other incentive right so it's like I was if you had uh, you know asked me when's web3 gaming gonna go mainstream I would have said 20 heck I probably would have said end of last year to be honest but again it takes a you know heck you've you built many games it takes a long time to build games and yeah that's uh that's one thing that I've been fortunate to be a part of I've helped a couple teams not so much build, but you know, helping out where, wherever, wherever I'm needed. But the challenges and opportunities of developing Web three games is absolutely insane. The ceiling is so incredibly high, but I don't think the average Joe or Josephine knows how difficult it is to like start a game. And then on top of that, there's so much luck that goes into does this game pop or not? It's crazy. Yeah, I think. It takes, like, if you look at AAA games, right? Like, they take four or five years, sometimes more. And 100 person teams building those, too. Exactly. It's crazy. Totally, man. With billions of dollars, backed by billion dollar game studios, you know? And it's not to say that every game needs to be a AAA game, right? Like, there can be very simple games that pop off. And yeah, maybe they take a year to build, or maybe it's one person takes them a month to build, but it just for some reason catches fire. But most games take a while to build. And now, I think if you look at the first generation of Web3 games, they were very first generation. And there's a good reason for it. And it's because they were all worried about the blockchain technology and solving all of these infrastructure pain points. They had to like 
figure out all of these friction points that got in the way of them focusing on the user experience from a purely gaming perspective. Whereas now, like with Sequence, our developer platform, it's this all-in-one developer platform and smart wallet that makes building Web3 games and applications and experiences easy. So now game builders, like they don't have to worry about any of this stuff. Like they just use Sequence, focus all of their energy and time on making a great game. And then this enables folks who are from like the EAs and the Blizzards and the Epic Games, who many of whom are like, you know, leaving, starting their own studios or what have you, or projects within those larger organizations. And now they can take all of their knowledge of like building community, building awesome games, and then implement some aspect of Web3. And maybe they just start small with it, right? But, and they might not necessarily market it as like, oh, this is a Web3 game, or like come play for the NFTs. It's like, no, like this is an amazing game built by incredible game makers. And then as players, you're going to be like, oh, whoa, I actually get to own these items. I get to trade them. And it'll just be through having this incredible experience that, you know, then unlocks this new understanding of like, oh yeah, it does make sense to own my digital items. And then, and that'll just propel the cycle even forward. So true. You nailed that on the head. Two years ago, it was all about play to earn. The purpose of the game was to make a little cake on the side. Now it's all about play, have a shitload of fun and potentially earn, right? Like, what's the essence of a game? It's to have fun. When you think of games, yeah. you think of fun. Those two words are almost synonymous. And then it's like, okay, well, if you're playing a game, the primary motive shouldn't be to make some cake. It should be to have fun. However, if you can earn a bit of a couple of dineros here and there, you know, everyone's happy. You know what I mean? Like, it's when it's dubs in the chat, wins across the board. Totally, man. I, I give tremendous kudos to Peter, who is our CEO, Peter Kiltika, and then Philippe Castonguay as well, our director of product, because... We, we published an F essay in like early 2018 talking about one of the pillars of blockchain gaming being play to earn. But right afterwards, we were like, let's not use that term to market it because we don't want that to be the reason that we're promoting people to come to the game. And while we pulled back from even using like our own term and, you know, other people may have arrived at it simultaneously. I'm not necessarily saying we invented it, but other people did start marketing it very hard. And we were very deliberate about saying, no, like let's not use that term because it it sets the wrong expectation. Because also for an economy to work, like not everyone can be extracting value from it, right? Then it collapses. And if you set this expectation, like, oh, I'm going there to make money. And then if the player doesn't, they're just disappointed. So like, it doesn't actually create a good community. So we're like, no, like let's focus on making a really great game first. And then there's all these cool trading and ownership properties. What's next for Web3 Gaming? Give me your sort of 6 to 12 month outlook. You can maybe dive into a five-year outlook, but how do you think Web3 Gaming as a whole looks like in the future? So I think like five to 10 years from now that 80% or more of new video games will leverage Web3 in some way or another. And in the next six to 12 months, I think we're going to see the release of some really amazing games. Like six to 24 months, I know so many studios that are like veterans from these Web2 uh, companies. Like, Don't just shit. as an example, like one of the our partners, Phoenix Games, they're leveraging Sequence. And they're all folks from EA and Blizzard and Glue, yeah, like big, making big great dogs. games. That, yeah, big dogs. And they're, they're using Sequence for all the games they're making. And like, I'm actually not sure, like, the time, their first game might not come out for like two years or three years. I don't know. Maybe it's eight months away. I'm not sure. But like, Anyway, those types of experiences are going to start coming online, right? And we have many other partners as well. Like there's a really cool game, Hunters on Chain. We have Tower Conquest Metaverse Edition built by a game studio in India called Super Gaming. And they're actually like, they might even be the biggest gaming studio in India. And they made this, they had this game Tower Conquest, which is like a traditional game, like non-Web3. 
And then they made a new version of it and implemented this Web3 component of it where you can win these collectibles and trade them. And they didn't even build a marketplace initially. And there was so much organic activity happening in their community just who figured out how to trade it. Like, and they weren't even promoting it that way. And then this like whole budding tournament ecosystem popped off and people really enjoyed it, but they just focused, they had a great game and then they layered in the Web3 component, right? And so we see a lot of like Sunflower Land's a really cool game that's also leveraging sequence. And then there's great other games coming out. Like there's one called Wildcard. It's like a collectible card-based MOBA. There's Shrapnel, which is this really cool shooter. Uh, Planet Mojo, which is this auto chess game. There's another group called Jungle, which is making really cool, like high fidelity, like excellent games. And and most of them are not really promoting it as like Web3 being the the make or break attribute of it. It's like, it's just like, it's a great game and they're focused on that. So I just think we're going to see more and more content, awesome content coming out because it's enabled by the infrastructure pain points haven't been solved now. Web two games built on web three tech is how I like to sort of put it. It's, you know, it's like, yeah, as a user, while you're going through the UI and UX, you'd never think, oh, this is a web three game. It's just the web three techs on the back end. Company X Horizon, for example, automatically creates a wallet for you. It's incredibly easy to use. A four-year-old could walk through the interface. You know, it's uh, that. That's what we need. What's next for Horizon? What do you guys have on the uh, on the outlook? Rest of twenty twenty three. What are you guys popping off? And uh, what are you guys shipping over the next couple of months and years? Yeah. Um. Actually, I just want to make one more point on the last topic. In that, I also think a lot of the games we see come online will have minimal. Web3 integrations, like they'll start small. Yeah. They'll start with like a collectible. And then I think over time, we'll start seeing Girl, the, the discovery of how yeah. you put more and more on chain. But I, I think it's good to start small and then you can layer in more rather than trying to like boil the ocean and figure everything out at once. That said, I still do think there will be some teams that are like, we're going hardcore all, all on chain and they'll, they'll also discover something cool. But I think yeah. most games will probably take a more minimal approach. And then, yeah, as for Horizon, like what we have upcoming. So Skyweaver, our trading card game, it was named 2022's best blockchain game, which was like a really wonderful accolade to receive. And we we really, we hope we can make it like the greatest trading card game ever because that's a lot of our community who are like professional Hearthstone, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon players are telling us like you have the right ingredients. But there's a lot to live up to. Like we're nowhere near claiming that title just yet, but like we believe there's the potential for that. And then on the sequence side, which is, as I mentioned, it's our developer platform, the tools to make building Web3 games and experience seamless and easy. We're focused on onboarding more partners right now. So we have about 65 or so projects that have either integrated sequence or are in the process of doing so. And then Mm. hundreds more that we're discussing with and are kind of figuring out their plans. And this ranges from small Web3 startups making games to some of the biggest gaming and tech companies in the world that are either they're building games or they're building token gated experiences or they're building loyalty programs or they're building collectibles experiences or something that you know none of us have even thought of yet, maybe around fashion or, or whatever. And like just today we uh, announced something with Paris Basketball, which is the pro basketball leagues over in Europe. And they just, they're, today they're using sequence so that all of their fans um, when they show up at the game, they just like scan, I think they're scanning a QR code on like a big screen and then they're claiming an NFT for having a, a collectible for having Sweet. showed up at the game, which then grants them access to future rewards, which might be like meet and greets with players or like discounts on future tickets or invitations to events. And so I think we'll start to see like more and more um, sports fan engagement opportunities. There's a few other like really cool major sports groups that we're talking with, like music. There's 
There's a lot happening. Our core focus, I would say, it is around games. Like 75% of the projects we work with are games. And then virtually all of the projects we work with are consumer-oriented applications, such as the ones I mentioned. Love that. Ben, you guys are moving and grooving. I love to see that. Um, I know we're getting a little tight for time, so we do have to wrap up soon. But I'd love to, unless you have anything crypto-related that you'd like to discuss. Yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to, is building, like, reach out to us, like sequence.xyz. You can find all the all the tools. You can join our Discord. You can chat with us. We're just really looking to enable amazing content into Web3. And then if you want to look into like the company as a whole, horizon.io, oh, you can also find a link there to play Skyweaver. It's a great, great trading card game. If, if TCG and strategy is your thing, I would encourage you to check that out as well. Oh, well, as always, we will include everything in the show notes. But one last segment on the show, Michael, Hot Take Factory, where our guest... And I'm super pumped for this one because I bet you have dozens of hot takes in that noggin of yours. But we have a segment called the Hot Take Factory where we jump in the factory, put our shit kicking knee-high boots on, we get a little down and dirty and let a couple hot takes fly, preferably non-crypto or blockchain related, health, wealth, happiness. You want to get super spicy, politics, nutrition, AI, whatever. But give me a couple of Michael hot takes before we let you go. I mean, I don't know how hot of a take it is. I, I feel like everyone knows it deep down, but I just think like living with love and expressing gratitude for this beautiful experience we call life is a wonderful way to live and just like elevate your experience and those around you. And I think it's, um, you know, there's an expression I like that people will over time, like they'll forget what you do and what you accomplish, but they'll always remember the way you make them feel. That's Maya Angelou. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can like, if you then positively impact the people around you, you're positively impacting everything. So I think that's really special. And then I guess another one that's, I don't know how I, other people have shared similar sentiments, but I, I often wonder if we're not already in a blockchain-based virtual reality that's called life on earth. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah, a couple there. I love that. The love one's so true. It's like, you know, I always tell my boys every time, like whenever we get off the phone, I always throw in a love you or like, you know, when I'm seeing them in person, give them a hug. It's like, I'm a big believer that happiness is a choice and uh, at least for the most part. And when you, and again, it's so cheesy with the whole good vibes thing, but like when you give good vibes and when your energy is radiant in the best way possible and you're just projecting good energy out into the world, good energy is going to come back and slap you in the face in the best way, you know? And it's like, if you can show a little more love, why wouldn't you? You know, it's like, it, it, all it is is a choice. It's just like, I've never met Michael before, but I love this guy. Like he's a, you know, like that's, that's all it is. It's, it's nice and easy, but that's a good one. I'm going to, uh, I'll definitely be writing that down and I'll be practicing that a little more than I already do. Likewise, man. I really appreciate it. And I love you too, Matt. Yeah. Great chat. Michael, Truly incredible. Can't wait to have you on for round two. Um, and I'd love to meet up with you in person and um, we'll definitely have a nice little riff. But until next time, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You and the team. Open invite for round two. This was truly an incredible episode. Had so much fun and we'll most definitely be going on a nice Toronto Harbor Front walk with this on the AirPods. So appreciate it, man. And can't wait for the next one. Thank you so much. Folks, what an episode with Michael Saunders co-founder and chief storyteller of Horizon Blockchain Games. This was quite the episode, learned a ton, have just an absurd amount of notes, just typing away while he was talking. Can't wait to share these with you. As always, I will include everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you enjoyed this one, I hope you did. Please do subscribe. It would mean the world to my team and I. Speaking of the team, love you guys so much. Thank you for everything. Could not be here without you. 
Just us, my amazing sound editor. Appreciate you. You are the GOAT. Love you, man. And to the listeners, love you guys. Keep on growing those bags and keep on staying healthy, wealthy, and happy. Bye for now, and we'll talk soon. Bye.